Hello, and welcome to Tech Connects, DICE's podcast where we dig into topics on tech hiring, recruiting, and careers that matter to you. I'm your host, Nick Kolakowski, and I'm going to talk to great guests every month about the current state of the tech careers world, including the tech job market, the hottest tech skills, what companies are doing to attract and retain technologists in a historically tight market, and much, much more. As you'll see in a few minutes, uh, our guest today is Stephen Brand, who's the head of employer brand at Mambu, a rapidly growing fintech company. Brand also has tons of fans online, including on LinkedIn, where he regularly posts his thoughts on the evolution of employer branding. As a term, employer branding has existed since the 90s, and it encompasses the steps an organization can take to position itself as a great place to work. When an organization's employer branding succeeds, it helps bring in talent that not only has the right skills, but also integrates well into the company's culture. During our chat, Stephen's going to break down why employer branding can serve as a company's secret weapon, so to speak, reducing attrition and dissatisfaction, boosting engagement and productivity, and ultimately helping drive an influx of great talent. So yeah, I wanted to talk about, I mean, obviously, employer branding and, you know, fintech and everything that you're doing at Mambu and so on with regard to that. Um, and just, yeah, kind of just have an interesting discussion around, you know, the value of an employer value proposition, not to yeah. not to get too redundant in terms of that and, and branding and things like that. Um, so it's interesting because I've been looking at a lot of data lately about demand for technologists, data scientists, you know, software engineers and everybody along those lines. And finance and fintech are always bang dead at the top in terms of demand. There's all these finance companies out there, all these fintech firms and so on that are always looking for top talent. Um, and that comes despite all, you know, the huge headlines about cryptocurrency firms going down and whatnot. Those headlines aside, it seems that fintech is really huge, which I imagine for somebody like you, when you're the global head of shaping employer brand and trying to attract people in and trying to tell the story and so on, it must make it, I mean, there, there's obviously a lot of opportunity out there, but it also must make it really difficult. How do you, how do you tell that story? What's, um, how do you sort of differentiate yourself amidst all the noise out there and all the chaos? I mean, it must be on a tactical and strategic level, it must be a huge issue. Yeah, no, undoubtedly, undoubtedly, you know, you're fighting as you, as you mentioned, you're fighting not only those that you would look at and say, well, they're direct competitors, as in they are also fintechs of an approximate size in the approximate same market. But but as you'll know, sort of, you know, every bank, every professional services and everybody wants technologists. So so you're really fighting pretty much every organization on the planet. I think just from a fintech point of view, in terms of separating yourself from the noise, I think, um, you know, what we have to do and, and kind of what, what I've, always believed my role is is that i don't necessarily tell the story i don't even to a massive degree necessarily shape the story my role is just to provide the circumstances under which individuals that do work here and that are experiencing life here are able to talk about that and are empowered and encouraged and want to do that and i think that gives you your your differentiation in a way that couldn't or, or that it's really difficult to sum up in a you know in a, in a tagline in a marketing campaign i think it has to be heard direct from the people that are experiencing it and that's where the distinction is and it might be micro these tiny little differences these tiny little ways that people experience the culture here that will resonate or not with the audience but i think it has to come 
direct from those individuals because a that gives you the distinction but it also gives you the credibility and if i say it and i get jump on the corporate channels and start banging on about what a life here is like and how amazing it is no one's giving that any credibility and i'm not reaching anyone whereas if it comes from those who are experiencing it it carries a weight of credibility um, as well as that that sort of authenticity that sort of human touch that sense of you know um being able to make a human connection that I think candidates are probably looking for when they're particularly when they're weighing up offers that might, you know, be broadly similar in terms of what the training package looks like, what the comp looks like, location, you know, where is the difference? And sometimes it's just in, you know, maybe a sense you get from the people you hear from. Do they sound happy? Do they sound like the kind of people you could work with? So I think, yeah, that that's it really is, is kind of a little bit getting out of the way, but just creating the circumstances that the stories kind of make their way out um, rather than us doing anything to, to create them, to curate them, to do anything of that kind of work. The um, it's, it's really interesting to me just because it, it, I hate the word institution. I hate the word institutional, but in terms of getting the company the brand, the people internally to, to, to buy in on this, to want to convey their stories, to show what it's like. How do you get, I mean, how do you sort of get the internal buy-in behind it? How do you can, A, how do you convince people that this is worth doing, you know, especially when the KPIs might not be the same as, you know, revenue or whatever. And then how do you sort of get people enthusiastic about it? How do you get, you know, how do you get your data engineers and so on to take the time out of their day to, to help you with this mission, to, to push this rock forward? Yeah. I mean, I'd, I wouldn't sit here and pretend that I've got 900 people on the end of a stick doing whatever I want to do. So I think, you know, to a degree, you always have to be selective and smart about the people you target and, and that you work with. And you often push on the doors where there's least resistance so i think you look and you're you would be able pretty quickly across an organization to be able to understand who already is more active on on social networks who is already more active externally talking about the work they do maybe with their own career hat firmly on um, but they're kind of building a reputation building a profile so they're already out there comfortable with those channels so it's maybe leaning into these individuals first off as as demonstrators and 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 um using their greater confidence and understanding to, to start the process i mean my experience has been that you know it's a doing this sort of stuff it's a pretty compelling story that's hard to argue with i think on a very basic level every employee understands that because they've all been there they understand that the more they know about what it's like inside an organization the more helpful that is to them when they're thinking about whether that's the right home for them we've all made i say we speaking for all of us but a lot of us have made bad hiring decisions or bad career decisions based on maybe not having all of the information that we could have done and so i think people understand there's a massive value to offering that and then to understanding that <clears throat> the more we can do to support that, the more people join the organization that know exactly what to expect, that know exactly how we work, that understand exactly the demands and the challenges. You know, those people are more likely to stay. They're more likely to thrive. They're more likely to be good colleagues to work with because they get it. They know the mission. They're, they're kind of bought into it. And so then you suddenly start to be able to say, well, hang on, that's good for me. 
that's good for my teams. That's good for our profitability. That's good for productivity. That's good for my sanity to have more people around me that get it and that want to work here. So I think that sort of human business case um, is is a relatively straightforward one to make. Probably the the biggest challenge which you which you hit on at the start is creating the the time, the space, the room in order to make it happen to move people from God. Yeah, I like the idea, but look at my diary. What you know, what can I do into a position where some of those obstacles and some of those challenges, certainly around confidence, around what can I do, around I don't have the time, that's my job is to roll as many of those back as I can. But I think, yeah, in, in broad terms, I think, you know, individuals understand the benefit to them of hiring better, better people more quickly. And they can start to, you know, even at a very selfish level, they can see how that would be a benefit to them in, in the long term. Do you think in, in terms of employer branding in general, like when, I mean, even after you have all this infrastructure in place and like the buy-in from those certain people and they're committed for those reasons, because, you know, everybody obviously wants a better organization and so on. And this isn't even a fintech specific question, but do you think that companies have an issue with sort of authenticity? Like they're trying to sell this huge brand story about what it's like to work there and so on you know, they want to put the company in its best possible light, but then there's also, you know, every company has its realities in terms of, you know, working for them and stuff like that. And you kind of have to, to walk that tightrope, thread that needle, whatever, whatever metaphor you want to slam in there. What, I mean, what do you think is sort of the best approach to that authenticity? Like how can companies like be get out there and be authentic, you know, while also kind of selling reasons why people would want to potentially work there. It seems to me like it's a real conundrum and I'm not sure. I mean, you obviously have this huge survey view of it, but I mean, whether companies are doing it right in general or whether it's it's a problem, I'm just I'm just curious about that because it seems very intractable. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't, I don't disagree, and I don't think anybody's kind of quite cracked yet where that right line is, because on the one hand, that authenticity, that honesty, is supportive of better hiring because candidates understand what they're getting into. But equally, rightly, marketing come knocking on your door if all of your stuff going out is talking about challenges within the organization and customers start are starting to see that investors are starting to see that and, and you know you start to have a wider brand reputation challenge potentially that tramples over all over that authenticity argument but um i mean i think where organizations tend to get to and, and i think it's it's similar for us is that there is a conversation about the d- degree to which honesty is complete honesty is um is fine and that might be that might often be topic based so so issues around um for example diversity and inclusion tend to be quite contentious they tend to make executives and and individuals across organizations quite uncomfortable and there's still a sort of a lack of certainty so i think real bravery and real openness around challenges there and what's being done is still quite difficult to to make happen because it needs to happen at an organizational level. And I've worked before where talent wanted to take the lead and really get out there and sort of set our stall out and be very clear. But because the rest of the organization wasn't behind us, wasn't in lockstep with that, you end up creating a disconnect where the audience isn't sure if you're that one thing or, or are you the other. You don't seem to be a single organization. So I don't trust that message or that message now. Um, but I think there are so there are topics certainly around like the pressures of work, for example. If I if I sort of pick sort of pick up Mambu, where 
because of our growth trajectory, the, um, the, the, the speed of the growth, what happens as you transition through 100, then 300, then 600 employees, I think being talking about the challenges that brings to culture, to connectedness at the same time as, as sort of talking about the steps that the organization is looking at in order to sort of mediate some of those challenges. I think that is sort of authentic, that's real, that's happening, but it's not such an uncomfortable feeling topic. It doesn't feel like a topic where you're likely to um, sort of unintentionally alienate entire communities or accidentally say the wrong thing. Um, it's just, you know, a reality of, of kind of life here that the audience might to a degree expect if they thought about, you know, what happens in those kind of organizations or have worked in one before. But I think that's different to being prepared to say, look, you know, there's real, there's things happening here. You know, we're kind of battling with this idea of we want to be, you know, we want to offer the people that work here, real flexibility about when they work, that real sense that we're innovating around what the working day and the working week looks like. But we're also trying to grow the organization at 50, 60, 70% a year. And we're trying to grow, we're adding hundreds to the workforce each year. And we're trying to maintain a culture that worked for 200. Does it still work for 600, 700? So all of those kind of conversations, I think, again, but from my point of view, certainly it's less about candidates i think expecting an organization to a be perfect or b all have all the answers but i i I think what candidates respond to is an organization that's prepared to ask the questions and and sort of recognize the challenge and and ask the questions and and almost show you where it's like the the maths homework used to get where it's like it's one thing to get an answer what we're really interested in is what was your process to get to the answer show you're working out what are you doing how does that manifest itself because that's culture in action um so i think it's i think it's that i don't think any organization's got it perfect i don't think they ever will because there is as you say there is always that tension between radical openness and so the reputation of the organization and its share price of investors looking at it, customers sort of taking a view on challenges and worrying about. So so there is always that 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 balance absolutely defined. And I think it's just about, at least in, in our world, sort of selecting the topics that you're prepared to go after, put your hand up, own them, and walk candidates through that that journey. I think it seems in broader tech that DEI is one of those areas where in terms of employer branding companies, you, however reluctantly, you know, they like, you know, especially the big ones, your, your Googles and, and your metas and so on will raise their hands and say, we have a diversity problem. We have a DEI issue that we're trying to solve through X, Y, and Z, whether it's adjusting their talent pipeline or what have you. But it, it seems like that's, that's one of those key issues that people are willing to to sort of own or companies rather are willing to own in that space. And that's, that's always an interesting thing to see that the issue though becomes at least in a DEI context, maybe in other, the context of other issues as well. How many years can a company go and say, Oh, we're still working on it, you know, and we'll get there eventually, but we swear, you know, next year, like, you know, we'll, we'll have a better, a more diverse employee mix um, in video games. The video game industry, it's a similar thing with crunch time, where in terms of employer branding, all these giant game studios constantly try to sell themselves to developers as, oh, we're better on work-life balance. We're better on, there's no longer the 300-hour crunch time where you're not going to see your family for the next eight months because you're producing 
Red Dead Redemption 5 or whatever. But it seems that as time goes on, those companies, they keep saying we're improving in terms of their branding, but they never quite reach it. And I mean, do you think in terms of when a company is trying to present its branding and so on, at a certain point, I mean, you can own things, but you, you do have to deliver eventually, right? Or else you're going to lose people. I mean, is, is, is that a thing? I mean, how long can a brand sort of say we're working on it before they kind of have to really show some sort of result? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you're right. Showing some sort of result, the trick probably is in, again, how you set up that topic and how you sort of level the expectations. So what is the thing that you're, that you're working towards? Um, and I think if you get to like a a lot of organizations in, in the UK, um, are sort of working towards now is, is sort of gender parity on pay and, and equal representation on boards and things. So those are real hard, hard numbers that they're working to. And, and, you know, they're already sort of conversations about the way it's tracking. These things are going to be difficult to, to make happen in, in the times that the organizations have, have committed to. Um, so I think, I think they're, they're, there does become um, a point at which candidates or audiences certainly would start to um, question the um, ability of the organisations to deliver the goals that they've set. But again, if you're in a position where those conversations or to a degree the work that's being done, including the setbacks that you face, is something that you're prepared to talk about um, then I think again that becomes easier. I get, you know, f- from my point of view, I, I don't look for a, an organisation that's perfect and necessarily that hits each of its goals. But where it falls short, it's interesting to know why it thinks it happened. What's it going to do about them? Not that it's buried under the carpet. You reset the objective, pretend the last one never happened, and, and just kick on. More, what you know? What have you? Why? Why? Why did that happen? What outside factors? What internal factors? What unexpected thing did you not? were you not prepared for that happened now you've seen it now you understand it this is how we're resetting and we and now we go so again it's that i can see that all happening and i can see that it is you know with with a lot of these things you know it's not like um unless i missed it it's not like we used to have sort of gender parity on boards it went away and now it's just about getting back it's like we've never had it so it's it's all kind of learning and trying that and going shit that didn't work that wasn't right what about this over here oh my god that's gone the wrong way actually this sort of you know it's it's all kind of a test and, and learn a little bit based on on logic and and you know common sense um but i think you know a lot of these topics organizations are kind of learning on the fly as they still try to run and grow their organizations because even with these um sort of mandates and expectations nobody's sort of on the sidelines going and it's all right if we don't make a profit for five years while we focus on it or it's all right if if some of our sort of customer service levels drop a little bit while we're achieving this all of that has to sort of stay the growth has to maintain so you're kind of doing it on top um so again it's just a little bit i think about that willingness to 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 share where you where you aim to get to and where you fall sure why you think that is and, and what you're what you're doing about it again a lot of that won't shouldn't be reputationally damaging because it won't be intentional things you did wrong it's all about you learn you know when you're building out a business for for the people side the product the customers whatever you're kind of learning and iterating all the time and i think on the outside looking in that's the really fascinating bit is not 
the shiny finished bits. How did you get there? You know, how did you go from an idea to a product? How did you go from zero sales to a million sales? That's the kind of really interesting bit. And all of the stuff that went wrong along the way is is the really interesting stuff. So um, it, it is a, I think is one of the reasons why employer brand, you know, we now have more time with, with marketing and with other functions in the organization because suddenly our work can have a much more direct impact on, on what they're doing as well. But it's important. And I think, um, I also think certainly when it comes to diversity, certainly when it comes to sustainability and certain other topics that previously might have been sort of in the, you know, the world of the soft employer brand, you can talk about that stuff, you know, now customers want to know about your sustainability credentials before they sign up. You know, investors are interested in, well, where are you with gender equality, with socioeconomic issues, with disability? Where are you? Because, you know, that's kind of, for our portfolio decisions, we're looking at stuff like that. So suddenly these are mainstream issues. um, And that encourages, I think, an extra degree of openness that, that maybe wasn't there before. It it also seems that it's it's it it almost be a, a channel challenge, pardon the alliteration, to a certain extent, just because I mean a lot of companies when it comes to employer branding and so on and and these issues that we've been talking about, they might at least traditionally maybe issue a single blog posting where you know this is the situation and we're still learning from it and you know it's a progression and we pledge in the future we're going to do this and that one blog post would be the only time that you would see anything like that, but now. I mean, there's trendiferous things like TikTok and so on. I don't want to discount them completely, but I also want to, you know, sort of acknowledge that there are things other than sort of the shiny baubles out there when it comes to kind of conveying your message. But when you're trying to show that the company is learning, when you're trying to convey that this is all progression and that you're getting better and improving and that, you know, you're a great place to work as a result of that, what kind of channels are most effective in terms, do you think, in terms of, kind of conveying that message in a way that really sinks in because i mean people are so inundated with information you know they might not necessarily come back to the corporate blog again they might not come back to the corporate youtube channel they might not talk to an employee more than once like how do you how do you convey that sense of story in a way that sustains where you have people kind of coming back i mean what's the i I mean I'm, i'm just looking for the stickiness kind of how do you how do you do that uh yeah i mean it's another good one the perfect answer to which would probably um earn you enough to retire pretty quickly <laughs> yeah, i think actually yeah i think um you know for us linkedin is massive remains massive just because that's where that's where the audience a lot of our audience lives and it's where a lot of our people are already very active um so in part the corporate page yes but actually the main part again is is enabling Mambuvians to do their thing on on LinkedIn. It's their kind of channel of choice. But equally, you know, we'll, we've got um, technical blog content on things like Medium, because that's where for that sort of topic area, for that kind of discuss that discussion area, that kind of debate, that's where that should happen. So we should be there rather than expect everybody to come to the corporate blog or say we only talk about stuff on LinkedIn. Um, you know, I mean, we we have Facebook and, and Instagram that we use, but you know, between these four walls. It's effectively more of a, a glorified internal comms channel where most of your your sort of followers are are sort of already uh, colleagues and actually they're interested in you know th- th- what's happening in the different offices you know the events that are happening that are showcased there. So I think for us, in terms of the the channel that is by far the the most successful, by far the most. Um, 
logical for us to to be on remains LinkedIn, and and that's not that's not perfect, um, but it is the right place for us to be. The trick, I think, for us is to be then interesting enough, is to be engaging enough, is to offer information on there that's of enough value for people to want to engage with, to comment on, to share, to to recommend to a friend, that sort of stuff. So it sort of becomes, at least at the moment, it's for us, it's less probably of a channel question where we're um, not locked into LinkedIn, but LinkedIn is kind of what we've got. Um, so it's then about, right, how do we make sure that stories we're telling, the content we're sharing on LinkedIn is interesting, valuable, likely to create, conversation likely to encourage people to want to look out for us likely to encourage followership that sort of stuff the um i mean that i mean it, it's platforms like linkedin they the the benefit yeah you can see you can you have your conversation threads you have people who are reacting to it with the, the cute little icons and things like that and say i mean also youtube videos i mean there's there's all these these kpis and these metrics that can apply um and when i've been talking to people about employer branding, there's there's this temptation that they feel that they're pushing against constantly where the senior leadership teams and so on, they want, you know, and I, I mentioned this before, they want sort of the hard metrics. They want, oh, you know, these LinkedIn posts got 100,000 views and so therefore we're going to declare it done and so on. But that's obviously not the whole mission in terms of engagement and things like that. I mean, what do you what do you sort of see is, especially for companies that are starting out, that are trying to get a handle on employer branding, like what do you see as kind of the, the true KPIs or measurements? Like, I mean, what, what should you actually be looking for at the bottom of that funnel? Like once you've done everything in terms of like conveying the message as an organization? Um, so the, the, I guess the metrics that I'm most interested in trying to affect for, for our organization are those that... Um, bridge that gap between awareness and action. So so in, in the simplest terms, and this is probably true of an employer brand person at a more established brand, but my goal um, is 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 to make is to try and make sure everyone in the world has heard of Mambu. Now that's a frankly ludicrous goal that I won't ever achieve, but it should be you never know. it should be what I aim for, right? That everybody yeah. has heard of Mambu. And further it should be my goal that um, I tell the entire world enough about what it's really like to work here in our different roles and different offices and different teams that, you know, 99.999% look at it and go, well, that's not for me. Don't like the sound of that. But that little sliver then are the ones that say, yes, that's what I've been waiting for. This is the kind of place I want to work for. I love the culture. I love the product. I love what it's trying to do. I love the mission, whatever. But that, is, is the goal. So what I'm then looking at is, right, if I'm, how do I measure that? So to a degree, it's um, reduced, I want fewer applications. So I, I don't want so many applications from individuals who like the idea of fintech, who like the idea of working for a unicorn um, and, 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 and want in. What I want is that conversion from application to, we're going to put this person in front of a hiring manager to go up so that more and more people coming through, you know, they've got the right skills, but also in that first qualifying conversation with the talent team, they're able to share a bit about motivations and that motivation lines up with our organization because they've done the research, they know what we're about and it lines up with what drives them. So metrics like that, 
which are not necessarily about bringing more applications in because that just creates work and 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 ruins day the the, the lives and the days of of applicants that aren't successful. <laughs> Fewer applications, but those applications are more likely to come through to interview to to be put in front of a hiring manager to say basically even if you're not right for this role right now you're close enough that at some point you and i you and us could very well get together therefore even if this doesn't work out we can bring you into the into the sort of community into the talent pool so then next roles that come up i get to a point so the the the, the you know the halcyon future is that you know eventually we know we don't have to be out on LinkedIn sending emails with with new roles and stuff. Everybody we need, we already know. They already know us, and all we've got to do is is be able to is is, is be able to con- sort of contact them in there rather than rather than um, sort of going back and, and kind of re meeting them and then getting confused because they talked to us six months ago and we seem to have forgotten that. Um, so that's the kind of feature. So so those are I think. When we look at sort of leadership and their need for hard metrics, I think things like that, where you can start to say, and if we reduce, you know, our sort of application to hire ratio or application to interview ratio from X to Y, that starts to have a, you know, a resource cost saving. It starts to have a cost cost saving. You can start to probably quite loosely, but, but start to put some numbers to that, that I think sort of talks or, or sits on top of the argument that it means we, every candidate is having a better experience we're not nobody's going into a black hole nobody's getting into a process that um or or getting into making an application for an organization that it turns out wouldn't be a good fit for them fewer people are joining and then sort of shooting off three months or six months in because it turns out we sold them a turkey you know those kind of things stop happening that's that's sort of my job um so so when we get so one of my hobby horses is is going on about just the employer brand being stuck in the world of talent attraction or acquisition because that isn't really what we should be there to do. Um, we should be there to um, to make sure that we're not just attracting talent in, that we're attracting the right talent in, and that we're kindly and gently persuading. The, the remainder of those individuals that we wouldn't be good for them, regardless of how shiny, regardless of what our valuation is and how they think, oh, God, equity there would be great. That won't make it right for you. You'd be better off somewhere else, and it's better. You know that now, and we know that now before any of us sort of invest time and and, and energy and, and you know oxygen in it. So that's kind of – sorry, it's quite a long answer, but in terms of those no, hard metrics, I think those are the, the key ones where you could say, yeah, the brand is – the brand is doing its job. The awareness is where it should be. People know and they know enough, not just the name, not just the headline of or the valuation. They know enough to make really informed decisions about whether we're right for them or not. And when you're in terms of, I mean, because you're expanding so rapidly and you're in this unicorn phase, um, does that mean, does that translate into kind of a constant retooling on your end, like on a strategic and a tactical level? I mean, when you're in the rapid growth phase, are you, are you constantly kind of rethinking like kind of the branding and so on? Or is it one of those things where once you set it fairly early on, I mean, you can adjust the strategy on a tactical level, but like strategically, like you're, you're sort of locked in. I mean, is it, is it, is it a really super malleable thing? Is it something that's, that's more kind of locked down? I mean... I think, I mean, it tends to be a little bit of, of both. So I think, and interestingly, sort of just in the time I've been here, what's what, what I think the whole organization has realized is that 
in the um, pursuit of growth and in fulfilling customer demands and market opportunities, the organization has moved away probably a little bit from its original vision, its original mission. And that's become a little bit, um, I guess, diluted for want of a better, for want of a better word. And actually getting to a, a certain stage of growth has been the perfect time for, for the whole organization, leadership team, founder included to just stop and look at you know all of the different directions we're now moving in and think about what's right for us moving forward not that we expect what i where i thought we would be going on day two when i was you know it was just me would be we have to stick to that because that's what i said on day two and i'm the founder like you know these things will change and and will move but equally um we're still the same organization it's founded from the same principle we were founded to do to do this and we might change slightly the definition of that, but that should still be what we live for. And so I think, you know, in, again, in the time I'd been here, what what I what I found a little bit is that because everybody said when you when I was interviewing, having come from HSBC, into like they're like the pace here really fast, you know, you just go no, pace, 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 like brilliant. That's what I want. Something a bit a bit of pace, great. But what I think I'd probably always expected was that okay, but it's it's this pace in in a straight line. We all know exactly where we're going. And actually what tends to happen is that while that far point on the horizon might broadly stay the same, the path the organization thinks it will take to get there changes quite a lot. You know, there's lots of forces that, that can happen. You know, individuals joining an organization of our size in certain roles can completely change the perspective and the picture that, that we look at a market or an opportunity. So you're quite often shifting quite quickly um, some certain elements of your activation, some key elements of your messaging um, in order to uh, to adapt to the fact that, yeah, we're, we're pretty agile in, in the market. We're not sort of locked in yet to just being this or just being that. Actually, we're still kind of exploring those limitations and boundaries. But I think it's always in service of that original mission, which is about making banking more accessible to more people. And as long as you know, everything we do falls back and you can look at it and go, is this going to be in service of that? Then I think we can nod and go, then it's probably in our scope. Let's go and have a look at it. But if it's like that's, you know, going there will not be in service of this, then that helps us make those decisions. So I think you still get an awful lot of agility, but it's still with that that kind of horizon point as, as the constant, um, which I think is what any goods, you know, and that's not the EVP, that's the whole sort of brand proposition for the organization, but that's what every good EVP should be as well, is that decision-making, not that thing that locks you in, but the thing that gives you the freedom to explore other ways of doing things, because as long as it's in service of, of that thing, you can really play with it and explore and push those boundaries rather than feel like it's something that binds you and locks you into just one way of doing things. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the, the point earlier was, you know, you just don't know what the business will decide, you know, and, and they make decisions quickly. You know, there's no big committees or six-month consultations here. If somebody feels really strongly about something, a couple of people get on board, it's like, bang, let's try it. Let's go. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but we go. And so suddenly then all of us are up, right, we're off. And then that might put the brakes and go, actually, we've rethought it. Now we're going to get, you kind of have to, you know, it, it teaches you some real skill about, um no, just on a human level, not taking the shit personally. If if somebody comes and goes, right, all of that work you've done, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, scrap it. We're now over here. We just have to go. 
in service of the company, in service of the company, and and you you go again because it's what what everybody's doing, and it's part of it's part of the fun. But going back to the stuff about candidate messaging, it's exactly what they need to know that you know you're 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 coming here and, and saying strategy is great, but you might need to set sort of a dozen strategies in a year. Don't expect it to be one, and then your work is done. You know, you come in here to work strategy. That's a constantly shifting um, set of rules that you might not experience elsewhere, and it's important that coming in you understand that want to work in that won't take it personally won't throw your toys out won't constantly put the brakes on and insist you keep doing it one way because that's not not how the organization works um so yeah it's um and i think yeah i think that's what it should be i think the proposition should always be agile and an opportunity to invent and challenge and innovate not a set of pillars that kind of forms a prism and locks you in that that to me is is sort of the opposite of what it should be there to achieve yeah i mean it, it, i feel like it just should be i mean especially now given all the you know there's a fair amount of economic uncertainty there's turbulence etc and so that sort of agility and that mobility seems to be really incredibly key um right yeah, now especially exactly. yeah when you're a unicorn or a startup or in fintech or anything like that Exactly. I mean, candidates can't sit still. You know, their circumstances are being changed every week, every couple of weeks by, you know, the world, economics, you know, all of this kind of stuff. So their needs, demands, expectations change. If you're not an organization that can understand that, empathize with that and look at how can we reflect that how can we shall we understand that how can we twist what we're doing in order to accommodate that then you miss massive opportunities and it also speaks volumes about the culture of, of an organization i think if you're not attuned to those kind of changes and, and prepared to change yourself so yeah i mean that for us is a is a is a massive factor do you think i mean the term employer branding has been around for a really long time do you think that companies do you think I don't want to say mainstream because it is something that a lot of companies recognize they need to do and so on. But do you think that leadership and so on has kind of internalized the need for this on kind of a broad level? Do you think companies everywhere like recognize the need for it? Or do you think it's still kind of a push that, hey, you need to be doing this. You need to be conveying this in order to optimize hiring and retention and all the rest of the stuff that makes organizations survive? Yeah, I think... Um... So I think, I mean, I think it varies across organizations and, and industries. I think individual leaders that I've worked with really get it. Others, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a harder sell. I think, in, but in broad terms, I think it's more recognized that it's something that we should have, something a lot of other people have. It's probably something we should have, but it's still too frequently bucketed in as, a tool through which we attract talent. So we need it because we need more applications. We need it because we need to, you know, um, improve the, the numbers coming. That we need to be more attractive to people. We need more CVs, and that's where I think it's quite a sort of um, narrow focus, and it, it fixes employer branding in a, you know, organizationally. You're you're reporting in to sort of just one line, so it's hard to have that cross-organization um, access, which I think you you need to have the right conversations. Um, so I think the real challenge, and it's one I have in a small organization, so I know, and I know it's one that you, you have even more so as the organization gets bigger and those silos get more entrenched, 
is how you can demonstrate that you know because in my in my view um, and it's not necessarily the popular or common one and obviously I'd say because I do this work but in my view talent acquisition or employer brand should not be in service of talent acquisition talent acquisition should be in service of the employer brand because the brand says this is who we are this is what it's like to work here this is where we're going from a people perspective these are our business objectives and this is how we as a as a brand for people articulate those business objectives now that means for you ta we need to be talking about this these these are the key messaging bits these are the kind of profiles we need to go and get you're off doing that then internally What's our employee experience? How are we living up to these standards? Are there any gaps? Should be having leadership conversations about their enablement and understanding. And, and that's the level that it should sit at rather than at the moment. I think there is a, yeah, there is a pretty good acceptance. There are more jobs in employer branding than ever before. There are more people doing it. There is a much broader acceptance that yes, we should have employer brand we recognize that there is an employer brand or actually a lot of people think you still need to create one rather than just have somebody in there doing something deliberately with it um but yeah we we need somebody or a team in to, to do this stuff but it's still there's still too much for me that that sort of focused emphasis that this is a about attracting talent this is about letting people know what a great place we are to work go and tell them why we're great go and tell them and give me more applications because that that's what i need it's like well a that's not the problem and b that's not what the employer brand can do or it is but you it's a massive limiting of the potential that employer brand has to impact the business. You know, to my mind, the employer brand has the opportunity, the potential to impact the bottom line of an organization, the profitability of an organization, more people that are better engaged, better equipped, productive more quickly, likely to stay longer because they're happier is going to make your company much, much more money than if you get rubbish people recruiting you get a lot more applications but it's of people that aren't really engaged that don't really get the culture that leave sooner that don't deliver as much when they are here you know the difference in value is is marked so you know done well you can drive profitability and there shouldn't be a single member on on any board anywhere that isn't interested in having that conversation about you know an activity or a focus area that can deliver that kind of change but it's a big step you know, like you say, it is kind of, you know, employer brand's been around for a while, but compared to, I guess, you know, corporate marketing, corporate branding, it's still a relative, a relative infant. And I think it's just going to be those steps where you show your value, you slightly increase your scope, you show your value, slightly increase your scope. And hopefully, you know, over time, um, you'll suddenly... Yeah, have access to a wider portfolio and, and be given that trust because you've demonstrated that you can deliver in the other areas. Um, so yeah, that's one of the things I, that's one of the drums I bang mainly because I'm aware of my own age and I want to get to that level before I go. <laughs> yes, finally, we're where we should be. But I think that, I mean, that is, to me, that's the the potential. That's the, that's the, the real opportunity that still exists with employer brand that's that's untapped and i think you know you're about we're supposed to be storytellers so you know i we need to be better at, at telling our own story and, and being able to have that get get that access and demonstrate that the potential we have to really impact the direction of an organization and, and to be able to offer that advice and partnership and consultancy rather than just be told get me more cvs 
Yeah, especially in tech where, I mean, it comes down to the people, the specialists, you know, you're, you're the machine learning expert who's the only person who can do a certain kind of modeling that you need in that moment. So yeah, no, it's really, it's really a powerful thing. So thank you. I mean, I appreciate the time. I know that you're super busy, you know, and that it's, it's complete and total chaos. So taking 45 minutes, I know it's a big deal, but this will, um, I, I think, I mean, it's a lot of nebulousness around employer brain. I think this is going to really help some people in terms of just getting some focus in their own ideation about all of this. Yeah. Well, what I love about the area, and you'll know this, I'm sure, from other conversations you've had, is there isn't a right, there isn't a wrong. There's just a bunch of people, an increasing bunch of people with different ideas, experiences, you know, thoughts, and you sort of bounce off each other. You fuck a bunch of stuff up. You try new things. You know, it's that's kind of what makes it what makes it interesting. Is it's not like well, there's a path you follow. Don't deviate from the path, or it won't work. What worked yesterday might not work tomorrow. That's kind of the fun. So all of these, you know, opportunities to share ideas, to have these conversations. Even, you know, this sort of this sort of podcast five years ago wouldn't be happening. You know, there wasn't enough probably people and interest. Now there's interest. So again, a big part of the job, I think, for me internally, but also externally to degrees that, you know, that enablement, that get more people involved. Let's have more conversations. Let's raise the visibility. Let's talk about what it can and can't do. Let's argue about where it should and shouldn't sit. You know, this is all great stuff. So thank you again for, for the opportunity and the invite. It was, as I thought it would be, a really interesting and fun conversation. So thank you. Yeah. And that's it, folks. Talking to Stephen is really illuminating, especially in tech where unemployment is low and the competition for talent remains really aggressive. Employer branding can mean the difference between companies securing the right technology professionals they need at the right time or potentially missing out. And missing out on talent can have huge, catastrophic effects on a company's bottom line and even potentially its survival. Here are a couple of takeaways from our discussion to keep in mind. First, employer branding isn't just about pulling in applications. A huge volume of applications will just burn everybody's time. Ideally, you want to tell the world about your employer branding in a way where maybe you draw in fewer applications but a higher percentage of those applications are from candidates who match well with your organization. The employer brand has the potential to impact the bottom line of an organization. When you hire the right talent, they're more productive and more likely to stay longer because they're happier. If you're working in employer branding, it's important to educate those around you, especially senior leadership, about the very real impact of your work. Figuring out the ideal employer branding strategy isn't something that'll happen quickly. It takes time, patience, resources, and buy-in at all levels of the organization. If you're interested in improving your employer branding, it's key to foster a culture of experimentation around it. By figuring out what works and what doesn't, you can eventually develop employer branding channels that work really well for your organization. And with that, we'll see you next time. And remember, DICE is your best resource to find the tech talent you need to fill your open roles, and for technologists, the best place to grow your tech career.